harvest, baby! Woo! For my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us. And binds us. Luminous beings so we, not this crude matter. You must feel the Force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Jedi, like my father before me. You don't know the power of the dark side. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Welcome to episode 68 of Blue Harvest, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Halls Burkhart. And I'm your host, Will Witten. And we're back. We are back. As promised. Uh, sorry about last week. Uh, I was not feeling well at all, so uh, decided to take the day off and uh, get some rest. I even called in to work, which I never do. Um, and um, I'm feeling a little better. Not still not a hundred percent, but uh, good enough to talk to you to my best buddy about some Star Wars. I'm just glad you got some of that rest because rest is uh, so important. Yeah, and you know what sucks is uh, I called in from work and I was like, "All right, I'm sick." I called in from work. I don't think I'm going to do the podcast tonight. I'm going to sit on the couch and play video games all day and just rest. No, nope, I slept all day, all day. That's good. That's a very good thing. Yeah, I guess. I guess. <coughs> See? Still not feeling still, great. Still a little bit hanging on. Yep. Um, so how's your week been, buddy? Or your last couple of weeks, I guess? It's been good. Just been... I've been doing some reading and some writing. Cool. Just kind of studying up and putting some thoughts together. I, uh... Got to spend a little time with the family last weekend when I um, I was feeling pretty good on Saturday. And I was like, oh, damn, I, I knocked this sickness out. And uh, went and hung out with Goose and Amanda. They came into town. And um, my cousin Courtney and her new husband, Drew, and some of their friends. Uh, it was a good time. Um, that sounds like a good time. I'm jealous. It was, man. Goose was, you know, Goose was Goose. Um, oh, my. He, uh... We went out to some uh, dim sum on, what day was it? Saturday. We went out for dim sum and, uh, you know, ate with the family and everything and then went back and they were all all up in some football's ass, so they had to watch some football. <clears throat> that's the, uh, you know, that's the thing about living uh, where I live and where we live is uh, once uh, fall rolls around and football season kicks into effect, 
not much else matters to a lot of people. And, you know, I, I know it's going to hurt somebody's feelings, but I, I don't mean it to be mean. But, God, I don't care about football. Like, I just don't care. Like, and I know living in Mississippi and Alabama, you know, I fake it. You know, you have to fake it. You know, your masculinity's on the line. Someone's like, oh, you saw Dak Shepard, you know, replacing Tony Romo. And I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, that's great. And I really had no idea, you know, um, had no fucking clue. Yeah, I followed you know. I, I football do, when I was in college, but that was it. I do like football. I'm I'm more casual in um, my football watching. Uh, I have yet to watch a full game this year, which to like our buddy Steve is like blasphemy. Yeah, because I know I'm gonna catch Steve uh, catch shit from Steve for for saying that. He's gonna be like, no, will it's, I mean, it's not like I hate it. You I, know what I'll, it is. I'll watch it if it's on. Like it's not. That's that's being a Mississippi State fan, man. <laughs> you just get yeah, don't get your on. panties in a twist about having a winning season. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's just it's rare, and you know, we we get shit on so much that we're just like, yeah, football. I, you want to play some Xbox or watch some Star Wars? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd Sounds rather like not have my feelings hurt. Thanks. Yeah, for real, because uh, like uh, our our friends aren't bad about it, but man, there are some people that take that shit way too seriously, get way too mad, way too worked up. It's because, you know, I think it's because you live in Alabama. Like, coming back to Mississippi, surrounded by Ole Miss fans, I'm like, oh, yeah. Now I remember why I don't profess my love for Mississippi State, so I don't have it thrown in my fucking face every day. Oh, man. Being surrounded by Ole Miss fans is like a personal nightmare of mine. I do not not envy you on that, my good buddy. Like having a cavity filled in every single tooth. Right. Well, um, you want to get into some fucking uh, Star Wars talk? Let's some do it. news. We got a couple of things to discuss this week, and then we'll do some emails. Before we do all that, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can at Blue Harvest Pod. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blue Harvest Podcast. You can email us at blueharvestpodcast at gmail.com. And we have shirts and shit for sale at tpublic.com slash blueharvestpodcast. I think that's it for the business. So um, I love it when you give them the business. Yeah, you like seeing me give people the business. Oh, dude, it it gives me a chub. Um, so uh, how up to date are you on uh, your Star Wars news, there, good buddy? Not as much as I should be. I have been uh, <laughs> searching the bowels of 4chan the last week or so, so I have not been. As in tune to Star Wars as I knew, usually am. Yeah, I, I'd say just uh, leave that 4chan in the dust. That is like the butthole of the internet. I decided it was like shining light on a you know colony of cockroaches and just being horrified of what I found. I think calling 4chan the butthole of the internet is unfair to buttholes. It's more like the dingleberry on <laughs> the hemorrhoid of the internet. I will give it the credit for get, you know spawning the birth of anonymous and some of the, the the cool things they have done you know that forum and the ability for people like that to come together and be heard to find to find other people that believe as they believe but uh you know part of being initiated into that culture is the foulness of it by nature I believe well um Star Wars news there's yeah. a big one. Big piece of news this week. If I were to say the name 
Michael Giacchino. What would that mean to you? He was the condu- the uh, the composer for Lost, was he not? Yes, and the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, uh, Up, maybe even Wally. He's done a lot of stuff. Um, well, first off, uh, someone on the internet got their uh, on Twitter got their panties in a major wad and wanted to make sure to let everybody know that if you're saying a Giacchino, you are incorrect. It's actually Giacchino. Giacchino. Michael okay. Giacchino. So I am going to try and reprogram my brain. See, it's not. It's already malfunctioning here. I'm going to try and reprogram my brain to get it correct. Giacchino. WNBC. Who who was this person, and were they official or? What what sparked this personal crusade? I don't know. He I, he was just like attention all Star Wars podcasters, news sites, bloggers. It's pronounced Giacchino, not Giacchino. Uh, I do believe it's pronounced Giacchino. And and honestly, he could be wrong, but he had such conviction that I was just like, this guy's got to be right. Uh, now that I think about it, I, maybe I should have looked it up. I was about to say, let's fact check this dude real quick because. Uh... Just because people are passionate about things on the internet does not necessarily make them correct. But if he went to all the trouble to broadcast that, you would think he would have fact-checked himself. You would think. You would hope. So, anyway, Michael Giacchino uh, was, (laughs) was announced this week as being the new composer for Rogue One. Previously, it was announced as Alexander Desplat. I'm sure I'm saying that shit wrong. Um, <laughs> and who, you know, worked previously with Gareth Edwards on Godzilla and had done some other stuff. Well, they're reporting because of the rescheduling uh, that happened because of the reshoots, he wasn't going to be available. So they brought in literally, ooh, literally my number one pick. For someone to score a Star Wars movie besides John Williams himself. And I knew that was your number one pick besides John Williams, so you have to be happy about that. I'm sure plenty of people that have listened to this podcast or Rogue One have heard me say the exact same thing because I uh, like to babble about some fucking Michael Giacchino. Giacchino. Um, You're saying it now just to reinforce yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. And then I'm going to find out that, you know, I was right before and I'm like, fuck. And, you know, the only reason I say Giacchino is because in some of the lost extra, uh, like, special features, like, people on the staff say Giacchino. So, yeah, Hurley from Lost. You're wrong, buddy, I guess. Sorry. I mean, you would think the people involved with the show would know the correct pronunciation of his last name. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm misremembering it, but um, super excited. Literally, the best Star Wars. Some of the, I won't say the best, but some of the best Star Wars news I've gotten since J.J. Abrams directing Episode Seven. I love seeing these Star Wars and Lost connections. Love it. Um, it's going to be uh, something to look forward to. Interesting that we're. Three months out from the movie, pretty much exactly three months out from the movie as of recording this today, and uh, we're just hearing about this this week, which makes me wonder if 
he was brought on, you know, maybe a month or two ago and they just didn't announce it. Or if this is like a serious last minute deal, like they're bringing him on and he's got to knock this shit out quick. If he's done it, if he's been on board for a minute and no one's known about it, that that says good things about, you know, keeping secrets under wrap for the rest of the Lucasfilm franchise. Yeah, I mean, I guess, or it could just be that there's other stuff that's getting attention and and things like that, you know. Right. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, I'm stoked. I'm really fucking excited about that. Um, I can't wait to hear what he does. I'm hoping that this is a sign that uh, he uh, will be their go-to guy in the future when John Williams can't do it anymore. Um, Yeah, because that can't happen forever. Yeah. Yeah, that is a there's as a wonderful as that would be. There's a finite amount of time um that John Williams will be available to do uh Star Wars scores and you know, I understand them wanting to use him while they can, but he won't be an option forever unless they can like figure out a way to take his brain out of his skull and put it in a jar and hook some electrodes up to it and just bring it out of the freezer every couple of years to be like, "All right, John Williams brain, Cook us up some magic, and it's all do 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 do. That would be sweet. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, that's it about uh, our our boy Giacchino slash Giacchino. Um, man, I, I'm just really fucking stoked about that one. Um, it, it, the only thing that'll suck is if uh, he it comes out and people are like, "Oh, that was not good at all." But that's not gonna happen. That's not going to no. happen. It's going to be awesome. He would not have been selected and employed for the job if that were even an option. I hope you're right. And I, I, I think you're right. And I believe you're right. I'm just saying, you know, trying to keep my, my head out of the clouds, feet on the ground, not get too crazy and fanboying over a fucking composer from a TV show that a lot of people hated the ending of, so... But man, if if any of our listeners are not familiar with any of his work, I say go out and um, go on YouTube or whatever and look up some of his Lost score stuff um, and you know maybe some of the Star Trek stuff. And you hear he's uh he's pretty badass. He's got a very John Williams vibe about him. Um, so the other thing I wanted to discuss this week, uh, Pablo Hildago from the Story Group works at Lucasfilm. Uh, went on a, uh, I wouldn't say a rant or a tirade, but uh, started talking on Twitter about five days ago about the nature of the Force, right? Which is fascinating philosophically. <clears throat> right. And, you know, this guy being part of the story group, uh, being uh, the guy who J.J. Abrams on the Howard Stern Show said when they had questions about uh, whether this was allowed in the Star Wars universe, this and that, the person they called was Pablo Hildago. So um, this is what he had to say. A colleague of mine recently stated that everyone has and uses the Force, which raised questions in some, but it's nonetheless true. The Force is life. If you've ever felt a moment of connection with another or your world, you're using it. That's the idea. You can disbelieve in it, but still have it. I'm sure old Ben would attribute Han's amazing piloting and luck to the Force. Han wouldn't. 
For gamers, note that I think every incarnation of the RPG gave force points to everyone, regardless of force sensitivity. In other words, we would cite we would cite uh, we would cite Bruce Lee. In our world, he would have some more attuned. He would be someone more attuned to the force than most. Hence, his remarkable abilities. It's not just physical abilities. Those who can sway large number of people for good or for bad are top tapping into a connectivity. I can see the case made that exceptional minds of all kinds, Einstein, Hawking, Newton, are tapping into a world most can't see. I think people understandably got caught up in the whole midichlorian thing. They thought you must have X number of midichlorians to use the force. No, the midi-chlorian prerequisite was to enter the prequel-era Jedi Order. It's a rather soulless way to look at potential by narrative design. The prequel Jedi have systemized their methods at the expense of spirituality and intuition. They are more order than Jedi. Characters like Jocasta Nu and Kia D. Mundi embody that. Others like Dooku, Qui-Gon, and Anakin don't. But there's more to the Force than just Jedi and Sith. There's more to potential than midichlorians. There's, just like there's more to genius than grades. Alright, that's enough, enough Force food for thought. I'll return to maddening non-observations about Snoke as requested. What do you think about that? I think that's fascinating. Um, I mean, it's just kind of an information dump in my mind that's a lot to process um i mean it makes perfect sense you know that to me it it would it would seem that the force was strong with chewbacca right i i at least feel like uh i really like that he downplays the midichlorians because when when that was introduced in the phantom menace that's exactly kind of how it struck me it, it was very soulless. It was like, oh, the fo- the force was mystical and magical, and right. you know it it bound the universe together. You know, for me, it was something mysterious and powerful all at the same time. And then it, when when the idea of midichlorians showed up and made it quantifiable, you know, like just basically like a, a a Dragon Ball Z power level. I didn't like that. Like it it kind of it messed with my perception of what was originally the force so but that makes a lot of sense you know what he says about the jedi order being led away from the mystical and spiritual nature of the force right. towards them towards their own order and what what was quantifiable what was scientific and that's you know science and belief don't have to be separate you know science right. and faith so many people want to keep them separate, but they don't have to be. Like, the two can work very well together. It's interesting because I think, um, like, the way he describes it, the midichlorian count, it was basically a um, an ACT score. You had to have right. a certain number to get into the order. And, um, you know, that's interesting. And I think it's also interesting. Something I've always sort of felt is that anybody, and I think even... George Lucas has said that anybody can access the force. It's just some people are naturally more attuned attuned to it 
And the, you know, training as a Jedi helps you become more attuned to it and be able to tap into this, you know, energy field. Um, I like that he doesn't completely say, oh, the midichlorians aren't a thing because they are a thing. They're officially a thing now. You I know? mean, they're a thing, obviously. Um, I just like that he found a way to sort of make the two work together pretty well. Um, and, you know, not saying that this is all from his brain. You know, this is all things he's heard or been informed of while working at Lucasfilm and stuff. But, um, and, and you know, probably not the sort of thing we're going to get in the movies. That's a little too info dump for a Star Wars movie. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, and you never want a Star Wars movie to get dragged ba- down by the exposition. Um, but, you know, you also want, uh, you know, if you have the ability or the desire to deep research this stuff and figure it out and put your pieces together, then, you know, those resources are out there. And I like that. Um, also, his, also, historically, you know, when when something's attempted an explanation in a canon movie like that, you know, uber nerds hang on every word of that. Right. And and want to hold you with an iron grip to whatever's said in whatever place, you know, and that's why they dissect the hell out of whatever Obi-Wan says in the beginning of new hope and how that doesn't jive with some of the stuff that was in the prequels, you know, but even, even in return of the Jedi, he says, you know, the truth is from a certain point of view, you know, so he could, he could be painting the truth, whatever color he wanted, whatever version he liked doesn't matter. You know, you don't have to slice and dice and be so, adherent to this one view of how things come together right. uh, like you said I, I think when you do that in the movies too much it, it can take away the magic and it can also give fuel to these people that have no fluidity in the way you tell a story right i mean you don't want it to be too rigid to the point where it's going to stamp out good ideas or good story beats you know or, and you say, want oh, it to we evolve. can't go there because of what so-and-so said in this one I think line it, of dialogue. I think there needs to be a good balance. Like, there needs to be some hard, steadfast rules that are unmovable. And in my opinion, you know, the unmovable stuff in Star Wars is anything they consider to be canon now. So you don't right. want anything that's going to directly contra- contradict that. But you also want them to be flexible enough to where if someone comes in with a really kick-ass idea that would make for a really good story, then they can, you know, bend it. For I think a good inst- uh, good example of that would be, you know, when people get pissed off that, uh, you know, when Yoda dies, he says, when gone I am, the last of the Jedi will you be. And people are all like, well, what does that mean? So Kanan and Ezra and all that stuff, well... If they can, if they tell really good stories with Kanan and Ezra and any other Jedi or Force user that survives Order 66, then it's worth it to me. Um, I do think at some point you're going to have to rectify why Yoda doesn't consider them, especially now that he's had contact with them, why he doesn't consider them as Jedi. Or is he just telling Luke that to give Luke motivation and be like look you are our last hope you have to do this you know well okay so where they're at like season three is where we're at right now in rebels right how many years is that prior to yavin the battle of yavin Uh, so there's a pretty big time jump in between 
uh, season two and three, from what I understand. Speaking of which, season two, three starts next Saturday. Fuck yeah. Um, so I believe you're about two or three years out from A New Hope uh, by season three. Which is crazy that Darth Maul and and Ezra and Kanan and Ahsoka are still all kicking around right. two to three years before A New Hope, like right. the Battle of Yavin. Um, it's interesting. So, but in between the time that, you know, Luke is told that he's the last of the Jedi and then is still, well, that's still like four or five years, right? Oh, okay. So before then, okay. So let's say three years to a new hope and then three years in between a new hope and empire. That's six years. And then a year between. So that's about seven years. Yeah. So, so there's a lot that can happen. And that's true. That is very true. Before he, you know, he's told he's the last of the Jedi. The the one thing I would say is that just doesn't seem like I would think if they're gonna if they're gonna survive into the Luke Skywalker era of the rebellion, then Kanan and Ezra at the very least can't be involved in the rebellion anymore because they would hear you would think they would run across Luke. And be like, oh, you're you you've got a lightsaber. Well, we've got lightsabers. You've got the force. We've got the force. You know. And I, well, I guess that it's never specifically said, but you know, Han Solo's kind of flippant disregard of Jedi and that old hokey ancient religion, you know, that just makes you think that's the general oppression around the galaxy, and that I don't think necessarily would be the case if the rebellion has these you know right hand jedi that they're employing in all their tactics you know what the rebellion is up to is spoken you know unspoken underground word amongst the galaxy gossip around the galaxy yeah i just don't think han solo like han solo runs with a pretty rough crowd fucking you know he knows greedo and works for Jabba and stuff and gets involved uh entangled with the empire so i don't know how much uh, interaction with the rebellion ja- uh, Han has has had, you know, I by mean, the time. I that's true. But and you I, would I, think I, hanging out in those fucking seedy cantinas and stuff, he'd hear some re- rumors and shit about what the rebellion was up to. The, the You know, the old blind Jedi that's, you know, bumming around in a spaceship out there. And I guess, you know, maybe not. I just There's just this feeling in in a new hope empire strikes back and return of the jedi that luke and his abilities once obi-wan is gone are a novelty <coughs> right and be, you know the fact that he's the last of the jedi you know it, it it would seem that the universe had not the galaxy hadn't seen that in quite some time well you but, know now and, that i think about it i don't know that luke is just pimping around rebel bases going uh, I'm going to be a Jedi. I'm trying to see my lightsaber. Like that might be some shit. He just talks about with yeah Han and Leia, like his close homies. But I don't know if he's going up to fucking general Dodonna and being like, I'm going to be a Jedi motherfucker. Do they even know that he's right? Strong in the force. So that is a good question too. Lots to consider. And I mean, doesn't, doesn't Admiral Akbar say, may the force be with us. He does. So there's, there's clearly, an adherence to those sort of values and, and, you know, thinking about the Jedi and, and their, their ways and stuff. And, you know, when you're talking about what Obi-Wan says in, in episode four, like 
you know, I think the easiest explanation for that is Obi-Wan has had some time to himself on Tatooine, and he is basically sitting there going, oh, like, between, you know, communing with Qui-Gon and just reflecting on all the bad shit that went down, he's like, you know what? The Jedi Order was going around about that shit the, the wrong way. Qui-Gon was right, because, you know, Qui-Gon pushes back against the Jedi Order. Um, right. Pretty Due to hard. his personal belief. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, it's interesting. It, it's especially interesting when you consider like Qui Gon versus Dooku because it seems like there's they they have a lot of the same views on things, but one of them was like you know a Jedi, like a good guy, and the other one gets drawn to the Sith. You know, it's it's like they both walk that fence and one sits directly on the side of the light and one sits directly on the side of the dark right and and you know count dooku is a character who while not one of my favorites i I dig christopher lee's performance but just dooku in general is not someone i'm like crazy about you know um but someone who i would like to maybe see some more backstory of of how he got pulled over to the dark side and oh my god fascinating yeah i would love was one of yoda's pupils and was qui-gon's master you know like right he was qui-gon's qui-gon was his padawan um and like the question i have is like you know they he left the jedi order (coughs) um did he leave before he became um, a sith you know what i'm saying and i'd like to know where the uh the title count you know, came from? What is he a count of? To me, that that has to be like a familial, like a family thing that was passed down, like, you know, Princess Leia, you know, but what, right, like, like, what system is his family, you know, royal of? Right, that is a good question. I don't know. I'm sure there was probably some sort of explanation in the old expanded universe, um, but I don't know what that was. Um, but going forward, like that's not. I don't want to see a Count Dooku spinoff movie. But if they did a book or something, I'd be down with that. And this kind of touches sure. on what we were talking about a second ago of how we're in that that era of mystery still, <clears throat> right? In the in the Force, you know. But like, that's kind of where we're at. You know, we none of us are certain that um, Kylo Ren is going to be a Sith. We know he's fallen to the dark side. We know that uh, Snoke is strong in the dark side, but we don't necessarily know that either of them are Sith or if they even will be in the story's progression. So, you know, we are still figuring out things about the whole spectrum of the Force and where the Jedi and the dark side kind of fit in that and how the symbiosis works and it's funny that we're we're talking about Qui-Gon Jinn and Count Dooku because they are specific examples that fall not specifically in the middle, but on either side of the middle, middle ground on that spectrum of the force. Right, right, for sure. And <coughs> excuse me, sorry guys. Um it makes me wonder like you know with uh, star wars movies for the foreseeable future how much explanation in universe in movies 
are we going to get about the force and stuff? Because, you know, I could see a lot of writers not wanting to touch it, you know? And I could also see where you got to give us little things here and there. And speaking of Kylo, something that's been sort of interesting coming out of like the source books and stuff is that they sort of insinuate or try to get this thing across that Kylo is combining light side powers and dark side powers. Like he's mixing the two or something. Um, Right. Which I don't know if that's something that'll be further explored or if that's just, you know, some fucking color text for these source books. But it's an interesting it, concept. It It, it is. It, it kind of like has that magical sorcery, black magic, white magic right. kind of feel to it. Right, for sure. And, you know, I assume that's very true of the, the pa- you know, pausing that that uh that bolt that phaser rifle that blaster rifle bolt that that innately seems like a defensive move it does you know like it does uh, but you see you see darth vader do it in empire strikes back i don't think Um, he freezes it as much as he deflects it in empire strikes back yeah i I always just assume that he basically just caught it you know just was like well i think you see it ricochet off Oh, I, I, it's been, I guess it's been a minute since I've seen it, but, um, uh, and also the mind powers, you know, right. reading someone's mind doesn't necessarily have to be for evil. I don't know. You know? I, the way he bit, went around about it seemed pretty the evil. The way he though. goes about it is, yeah, but, yeah. you know, execution. feeling someone's emotions and feeling, you know, what, what they're feeling doesn't necessarily have to be used for evil. I don't think. Right, right. No, that's, I mean, that's definitely true, but it's just how he's doing it, basically. And hell, even Darth Vader does it in Return of the Jedi. And, you know, when Luke's <laughs> sitting there thinking and he's like, sister. Yep. Yep, he sure does. Um, so do you want to break into some of these emails? Yeah, you know I do. Now, we're a little backed up on the emails because uh, we didn't do a show last week. Uh, I think we'll be able to get through all these, but if not, uh, just know... That your email will be saved for next week, but we'll see what we email, can do. Email constipated. Here comes a dose of fiber. Yeah, because uh, I have a feeling, well, well, next week will be a day before the Rebel Season 3 um, premiere. And then the weekend after that will be Force Friday. So, yeah, we might have some news and some cool stuff to cover over the next week. So, um, Our first email is from Josh, and he says... Hey guys, love the show. I can't remember his name, but a dude emailed last week and said he couldn't get his Ahsoka 6-inch Black Series to stand up. I believe that was our buddy Tomas. Tomas. I just bought an Ahsoka also and was having the same problem. Tell that dude he needs to hike up Ahsoka's cloth skirt so her legs can be widened. Ooh, this is getting sexy. Mm. Hold on, let me... I, I didn't give that justice... Tell that dude he needs to hike up Ahsoka's cloth skirt so her legs can be widened. Much easier to get her to stand up like that. That Ahsoka is super dope, though. Her and Kanan are my favorite so far. I'm also hella pumped that they are re-releasing the three and three-quarter vintage collection Ahsoka in the Walmart Black Series line. Cannot wait to pick that up, Josh. 
So Josh is just writing, writing in with a little uh, little uh, action figure tip for our buddy Tomas. <clears throat> All right, next That's up. That's very kind. Yes, thanks, buddy. So keep that in mind if you are a Black Series open opener and displayer. Um, our next email is from Richie from Boston. Halls and Will. This week I'm going to be very short and to the point because I think my question will generate enough discussion. Given the passing of Kenny Baker and the com- confirmation of Jimmy Smiths, do you think we'll see an R2-D2 cameo in Rogue One? Discuss. Richie from Boston. Um... What do you think? I'll let you go. Go take this one off the bat. I'm gonna bat right at you, right back at you. I I want to hear what you what you think. I think it's very likely that we'll get not only an R2D2 cameo, but maybe even a C3PO cameo. Maybe not in a vocal role, but at some point, I believe we'll see the Rogue team or what's left of them hand the plans off to Bell Organa. Um. And I would expect that that would be a real convenient time. It probably even be on the Tanta Four when it happens. But be yeah, real convenient to have uh, R two and D, you know, R two and C three PO there. That's exactly what I was thinking. You may see them board the Tanta Four, and that's like the end of the movie. You know, like right. Um, and I would I would wonder if we'll we'll see some sort of Leia cameo in some sort of weird. You know, Tron Legacy or from behind. I don't know. That one's, you know, that one's harder to do. I Just in my gut, I don't recommend that, but I'm not opposed to it. Like, I wouldn't I mean, be hateful. I think if they they've did. done a good job more recently with the making an older actor look younger. Case in point would be Michael Douglas in Ant-Man. I mean, yeah, that that was really good, admittedly. And I don't think if Leia was going to be in Rogue One, it would be even that much screen time, you know? You do I mean, it too long is when it starts to fall apart, you know? Right. And and that's that's what I felt like in Tron, you know? Yeah. Like, but, you know... It was too much for too long. You there also were scenes that right. didn't feel convincible. You also have to take into effect that how long... I mean, by now, how long ago was Tron? We're talking... Already, what, like maybe eight years ago, if not longer? Yeah, that's true. And there's, right. you know, CG gets better and better. So there's, and you also got to think that John Knoll from ILM is on uh, a major part of this movie. So maybe he's like, you know what, we should knock that shit out of the park. Um, they also, and speaking of Marvel movies, they did the same thing. They did a young Robert Downey Jr. in um, the newest Captain America movie. And, you know, it's pretty good looking too. So, yeah. All, you know, even going back as far as um, what was it, X Men Three? Yeah, that was honestly the Patrick Stewart and the Ian McKellen were not bad. <coughs> young Magneto and Young Professor X. <coughs> that is true, but I, I guess that goes back to saying it was so brief. It was brief. Is what, is what helped with that. And um, I don't know how well that would hold up when compared to some of the newer instances of that but it was one of the forerunners of that whole process that's what i was about to say that's one of the first times i remember them doing something like that was with x-men 3 uh so next up we've got an email from jonathan greetings will and halls i've been thinking that we've been getting a lot of new planets in star wars lately but there are still a lot of the old eu now legends planets that we have yet to see on film 
I'm a fan of the EU, but not fanatical enough to whine about it, about the reboot, and endorse a billboard or boycott shit. I will say, <laughs> as an avid reader of the early EU novels and Dark Horse comics, I was excited to see George use Coruscant prominently in the prequel trilogy films. However, there are still several planets that are mentioned, but have not yet made a canonical appearance in the films. What planets would you guys be most interested in seeing on the big screen? Here's a list of the planets I'd love to see in future Star Wars films. Corellia, home of Han and Wedge. Uh, Kuwait. I want to see those Kuwait drive yards. I might be saying that wrong. Some dude's going to come at me with a Jaquino. <laughs> and be like, uh, you're wrong. Uh, Bestine, home of Porkins. Yeah, fuck yeah. Sullust and Chandrilla. Keep up the great podcasting, and may the force be with you, John. What about you, Will? Is there any planets from any uh, expanded universe stuff that you're familiar with that you would like to see? Not necessarily from the EU. I mean, I don't know why, but I I really want to see Dantooine. And I want to know if any of any of the other planets in the Yavin system are, are worth visiting. Right. You know, that's like, what is it, Yavin 4? That right. Uh, the Death Star's in, in the orbit of, like, it, it could be like our solar system. They could be planets that, you know, are not M-class, not habitable, and, well, so and wouldn't be. Here's I a question. I guess M-class is a Star Trek term. But. So, Yavin, like, the big red gas planet that you see, that's not the planet they're on, you know. That's, am I right? I think that's Yavin, and Yavin 4 is a moon of that planet. Okay. Yeah, you know I, what I'm saying? I didn't know, yeah. I may be wrong about that, and I, I'll freely admit that I could be just talking out of my ass on that. Um, um, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, Yavin could be the name of the star or that main planet. And, right. You know, Yavin 4 could be the fourth planet well, in and, the Yavin system. And, well, the, and, and we know that it's the forest moon of Endor. Right. You know? So... It's, it's an I'd, interesting I'd also thing. like to know if any of the other you know planets in the Yavin system, I mean in the Endor system, are right. habitable or you know what they look like. Um, Polis Massa is that that's the kind of like asteroid mining facility type thing mining, where Luke and where Leia are born. Are born. I yeah. like that. Yeah, I, I would like to see you know maybe an, you know another shot of that or you know some interstellar. Kind of, you know, like nowhere in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh yeah, that I mean, nowhere is a cool fucking concept in in Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy. It's in the head of a giant dead god, basically. Yeah. And like, not necessarily that fantastical. It doesn't have right. to be in the head of a dead god, but like the idea of a Mos Eisley spaceport on an asteroid somewhere in the galaxy that is. You know, a place where rogues come and go. Kind of like Maz's Tavern. Right. You know, I think that would be very neat. Um, so I, I'll agree with him on Chandrilla. That's a planet I think would be interesting to see because in the current canon, or we, it's been established that after the Battle of Endor, when the New Republic was put together and stuff, the first home of the Senate and stuff was on Chandrilla. And then something about how they structured the government, it moved every so often. So by the time uh, Force Awakens rolls around, it's on Hosnian Prime. But for a while, it was on Chandrilla. That's Mon Mothma's home planet. 
Um, Corellia, I bet we see that in the Han Solo movie. I was just about to say that. I was going to agree with him. I'd really like to see Corellia. You know, I'd like to see the Corellian shipyards because, uh, uh, you know, clearly Corellia is known for building awesome spaceships. I mean, I think, uh, I don't know, I guess, I guess any planet could have shipyards, but uh, I, you would think if they're going to say a Corellian YT freighter, like, right. That, you know, it has to be stood out from other ships in some way. Also, um, Ilum, the planet where the force crystals come from. Yeah. I think that would be neat to see Ilum. I, you know, I saw a rendition of it in the Jindy Tarakovsky Clone Wars, which I thought was, you know, super neat. But um, I get, you know, I guarantee that's not. Well, it's also in it's also in Clone Wars, I believe. Is it? Yeah, maybe in, I missed in the canon Clone Wars. Um, is it Ilum an ice cool. planet? I believe so. And okay. what would be I, in the same vein? Uh, so we've seen that in Clone Wars, but I would like to see it in movie form, like you're saying. In the right. movies, we've seen these planets in Clone Wars, but I'd like to see the Mon Calamari planet, Mon Cal. Yeah. Um, leave the fucking shark dudes out of it. Um, and I would like to see what used to be called Korriband, but it's Moriband now. Like when it showed up in the Clone Wars, its name was Moriband. So I believe Morib- that's the canon name for like the Sith homeworld planet. Homeworld, yeah. I remember that Korriband was the Sith homeworld. I just didn't think that that was... Is there a planet called Typhon? Or... I don't know. Typhon, was, there was Typhon a... is in Old Republic. That is the okay. home home of the Jedi. That is like the starting planet. Uh, when you start a Jedi character, you're on Typhon. Okay, here we go. Old, uh, EU planet. What was that Osus? Okay. Osus yeah. was Kessel. once... Um, oh, yeah, Kessel. Osus was once like the capital of the Jedi or where the Jedi archives were or... There was a major Jedi temple on Osis or something like that. Right. From from what I remember, from the Odan Ur storyline days. Right, right. The li- wasn't there something called the um, fucking Library of Osis or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why, because supposedly it was supposed to be this great <coughs> wealth of Jedi knowledge. Like I know right. that probably can't still exist in the way the the galaxy has been through such tyranny. But right. You know, maybe Osis is. The inspiration for Octu. It could be. That could be a good, you know, we're going to see some of that where we get these planets that are influenced by old EU planets and stuff just under a different name. But We've already seen Dothomir, right? Yes. I'd like to see some of the prequel planets make a return. Like, fuck Geonosis. I don't ever need to see that place again, but Dude, I would really love to see Naboo. I'd love to see what's kicking on Naboo. I want to see what's going on Coruscant. Like Belusia. You know, all, oh yeah, I mean, some of the more extreme like crazy looking planets would be cool to see again too. Yeah. Um Well, next up we have another Richie from Boston email. Halls and Will. Recently I read an article on Making Star Wars about the natural progression of fandom, the ebbs and flows of your own personal fandom, if you will. I was just wondering about the history of your individual fandom. When did it peak? Is it still high? When was it low? Personally, mine was very high around the release of each prequel film, with a couple of other peaks in the dark times and between years. However, like any normal human, I always found a healthy dose of other shit to do. That's why I like the three-year gap between prequel films. 
It gave me an opportunity to focus on other things like my beloved Boston Red Sox, New England Patriots, Star Trek, don't hate, NASCAR, ninjutsu, fishing, you get the idea. He is a man of many interests, this Richie from Boston. I feared Disney overkill when they purchased Lucasfilm, and right now, just before Rogue Friday, I'm feeling this slight sense of Star Wars overload. It's kind of like that last bite of sugary frosting that you shouldn't have taken. I think I need to take a step back before the next movie comes out so I don't burn out too fast. The thought of not getting the collectibles that I want has been stressful. Today, as I write this, I'm throwing my hands up in the air and saying, fuck it. I only really wanted two Black Series anyway, and if I don't get those, I'm not going to die. I've got my podcast way down too, but don't worry. Blue Harvest is at the top of my list, and I'll keep writing in as long as you'll have me. You guys are the most real of all the guys I've had the pleasure of meeting in fandom. Is it just me? Has Disney overload crept up on anyone else? Richie from Boston. Why don't we take that in two sections? What's your been your um your personal uh Star Wars fandom history like? When was it at its peak? Is you know, is it still high or still riding that Star Wars I feel, wave? I feel like you know, I've had like three three true peaks in my Star Wars fandom. Um before the prequels came out, when I was just, you know, in elementary school, you know, getting on to be like 10 and 11, and all we had were, you know, 4, 5, and 6, you know, A New Hope and All the Way to Jedi. Just the imagination, the creativity, the the recess play, the drawing, right. and... Just the way that the drawing, mind, uh, <laughs> the drawing. You got me. British street urchin, um, but the way my imagination could run with where the Star Wars universe could go, and my sadness that I truly believed I'd never have another Star Wars, and that was that was truly a peak, just because of the way my mind could go, especially when I was playing the Star Wars card game. And, you know, then again, um, I feel like when I met you was the second peak of my Star Wars interest because, you know, I love Star Wars. It's a crucial part of my bonding with my father, you know, like he introduced that to me. And then, you know, seeing I went to see every single one of the prequels with him and I went to see every single one of the special editions when they came to the theater with him. You know, that was that was really one of my favorite and most wonderful memories of bonding with my father. And uh, it kept us close for a long time, and I was very passionate about Star Wars. Uh, but when I got to, you know, I started getting in through the high school and into college as, you know... Trying to be Mr. Cool. Yeah. Trying and to then, crush ass. Yeah, and then you realize that you can't spend all your time, you know, devoted to the Star Wars fandom. And then the prequels started to weigh on me. You know, I, I loved them all when they came out in the movies, and then... The more I watched them, once I eventually owned them, I was like, "Are these, are these not great? Are these not as great as four, five, and six? And that was really a crisis of faith for me, kind of, in my Star Wars belief. But you know, I eventually came around to loving them for where they fit in in the whole saga. Right. And then when I met you, really, I was like, "Holy shit! There is another human being on this planet." that enjoys Star Wars as much as I do, that reads as much about Star Wars, that 
you know, like I would get made fun of or like, damn, Will, you really know a lot about Star Wars. I'm like, fuck yeah, I know a lot about Star Wars. But then I met you and I was like, shit, I don't even know as much as Star about Star Wars as this motherfucker knows. Like, holy shit, there's someone I can talk to about Star Wars and not get bored or someone be like, all right, we're done talking about Star Wars. Right. And then the third peak was when we started this podcast, you know, that's that'll that'll cause it. That'll cause a peak. We started the podcast and my life became really cool about the people that I could share it with. And we found this fan base and these people that we can talk to and that listen to us talk about Star Wars. That really, you know, it was really one of the high points in my life and in my Star Wars appreciation. And before The Force Awakens came out, you know, starting the the podcast in the year before The Force Awakens came out was really that, that third peak. Okay. So what I want you to do while I'm going over my peaks and valleys, I want you to mentally try to come up with your top five favorite Star Wars moments ever. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Oh, my goodness. All right. Here we go. Um, so my personal Star Wars history is, and and I'm not saying this to try and make myself sound cool to our listeners, but like I've definitely had uh, part times of higher interest and lower interest. Um because, you know, just because when there's not a lot to consume, it's harder to keep that interest level going. I think I also sort of benefited, um, and it was sort of a, a mark against me, the time I was born, like, I didn't get to do the vintage Kenner action figure collecting and hunting, because it was slim pickings by the time I was old enough to look around and want that kind of stuff. Um, but family members and, and friends like older brothers and stuff had all that stuff. So I would get to see it occasionally and be like, damn, I want that. So I, you know, vividly remember being really young and going to like the comic book store in Columbus where I grew up and they would have vintage figures in, uh, in like their case up at the front. And I'd be like, Oh, I saved up eight bucks. I'm buying that stormtrooper. So like, when there was no Star Wars figures, I was going out and, and buying them on the secondary market, you know, loose and opened. Um, and, and not to collect, to take home and play with those bitches. I'm going to tell you right now, I probably play, like legitimately played with Star Wars toys well into a time when it was probably too uncool. Like, I remember the night... All the Phantom Menace stuff came out. Going home, cracking open my Obi Wan, my Qui Gon, and my Darth Maul, and playing lightsaber battles with them. And I was sixteen at that point, so clearly, <laughs> clearly, that didn't go away through college and stuff. I never put Star Wars aside to uh, chase the the uh, the crushing of ass. Um, and uh, you know, then. Uh, it started getting Star Wars tattoos and stuff. And, um, you know, I would say, that, but there were times, like like I said, when there wasn't stuff I could get into or consume or read and, and things like that. Um, where, you know, I, it's not like Star Wars is my only interest. I really like Marvel comics, and I always liked those as a kid, specifically Spider-Man and the X-Men. So those are things that I was into. Um, and then, you know, other geeky, nerdy stuff. I got into the Matrix for a little while, and then that shit the bed. Um, what the else? Wachowskis. Wachowskis. Um, um, what else? I mean, you know, there's been other things. Um, 
But Star Wars has pretty much always been number one. Horror movies, horror movies I'm huge on. And, uh, and those actually date back further than my Star Wars obsession. I saw Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the original one, well before, or not well before, but around the same age I saw Star Wars, which is fucked up considering I was like four years old. But um, those, that 80s slasher movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, um, Friday the 13th, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, stuff like that, I've always been way into. <clears throat> so, you know, um, but yeah, I, I know what Richie's saying. It does seem like I haven't gotten overloaded yet, but I, it's, I do a Star Wars podcast. Like, like clearly I'm down to talk about all facets of Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I say for anybody that's listening and, and for Richie, like get into it as much as you want to. And if you feel like you're getting into it too much or it's too over, overwhelming and you need to step back to be able to enjoy it a little better, then just follow your instinct on that. Um, you know. Uh, yeah. I, um, I'm not interrupting you. I am. No, I? no, no. Uh, I, I was going to say, I have something for that overload that he's feeling. I know, I know what he's talking about, Richie. I know what you're talking about. Um, it's because, you know, Star Wars has longer legs to run now. You know, it's got the financial backing of a powerhouse, you know, yeah. a, a multi-million dollar billion. international corporation. Like, yeah, billion dollar, you know, international corporation. So, <clears throat> yeah, you're going to feel some overload if you try to keep up with everything that's coming out. Um I, uh, I will admit to you, like, I don't do the collectibles like Hawes does. And not the not because I think it's uncool or I wouldn't. It's just, you know, I don't necessarily have the income for that at the moment. And it keeps me not overloaded. You know, I didn't follow every episode of Clone Wars and I don't follow every episode of Rebels. You know, but I talk to Hawes about these things because he does. Like, I like to be included on what's going on i like to know where it's going like to keep my canon and my knowledge strong but i don't necessarily dvr it you know i don't own the seasons on tape you know i'm sure i will eventually i have right. nothing against it but that leaving that for me to consume at some point in the future allows me to not have overload right now most of my star wars focus is you know the movies right you, you know that's where a lot of my yeah, the movies and movie news and what's going, you know, you know, that's my focus in the Star Wars universe, where we're headed. And uh, that's kind of how I avoid burnout in, in I know what you're talking about, but if you try to, you know, it's going to be a marketable enterprise that is geared towards profitability, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to children, children's toys, you know, material content exclusively for children, you know, and if you tried to keep up with all of that, I totally understand why you would be burnt out. Right, right. And just, you know, be into it as much as, as you're comfortable and, um, you know, you don't, can still get enjoyment out of it. Don't feel like you got to keep up with the Skywalkers. Um, what Do you have your top five Star Wars moments in your head? I've, I've got my top five in my head, although I don't believe I can give them to you in, you know, Just no particular order. Yeah, no, that's how I'm going to yeah. do mine, so go for it. Um. D d the first time I watched, you know, episodes four, five, and six, 
just the way the back of my skull blew off, you know, and my brain splattered on the wall. Just, oh my God, Star Wars. I love Star Wars. You know, um, that's one of the best moments. Just seeing the entire trilogy. Um, Something about, and we talked about this, moments of music that stick with you. Something about that twin sunset. Oh, man. On Tatooine in A New Hope. You know, that gives me goosebumps almost every time. Oh, yeah. If it's loud enough and the the lights are off, like, I guarantee you, I get around to goosebumps when that comes on. There's something about, I don't know if it was just identifying with that or wanting to be something more in this world than what you were. There's so many things about that moment that touched me personally. So that's another moment. Um, Sitting in the theater when that first scroll for Phantom Menace came on, oh. you know, like seeing them in the, the seeing the special editions in the theater was incredible. But uh, there was just something about that moment that I had hyped up so much and was so ready. Like, Oh my God, new star Wars. Like there hasn't been a new star Wars in, you know, so many years. And like, just again, goosebumps, that moment, that initial bum, but it, um, but and that, that scroll ran like, there's nothing like that. Um, that okay what is that that's four is that three or four oh i I don't know i lost count i was just sitting here like drifting off into i I um, think that's three okay um uh, another one was that exact same moment when the force awakens came out like sitting in the theater the initial scroll music drops force awakens like that was a powerfully emotional moment and um, i cried like a like a like a like a crazy person I was sitting right next to you, no, tears streaming down your face. I lost it. I am not too proud to say it. Oh, come on. I'm proud. Um, and then I guess the last one would be the moment that I realized that The Empire Strikes Back was my favorite. You know, and being a kid, just, you know, you watch Empire Strikes Back, but as a kid, there's so much going on in that movie. Some of it goes right over your head. Yeah. And there some is. of the beauty and the majesty and the art. And the character development and the dialogue, it goes right over your head as a kid. And, you know, Return of the Jedi is your favorite because Luke is the hero, the denouement, like the climax. Every, you know, he defeats the Emperor and Darth Vader and all that happens. And, you know, they save the galaxy. And that's that's my favorite because Luke's the hero and the hero won. And, and every, you know, you know, everything comes together. Han Solo ends up with Princess Leia. But when I realized what an excellent piece of cinema, you know, regardless of the star Wars universe that empire strikes back was right. It, 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 it was, I don't know, profound. One of my favorite star Wars moments. So, um, all right, I'll do my top five real quick. Um, I would say seeing star Wars for the first time would definitely be, be on the list, but I think seeing the special editions in theater actually sort of edges it out only because, and I don't know if your dad did this, but, My dad loved rubbing it in my fucking face that he got to see those movies on the big screen. Dude, are you kidding me? My dad was like, I saw the original one nine times. Yeah, that's how my dad was like. He's like, I know this is good, but you you don't get the full effect not seeing it on the big screen. It's amazing on the big screen. And I was was like, that's kind of a dick move, Dad. I'm jealous. And always jealous about that. Shut up and let me enjoy this. So finally getting to see those movies on the big screen was a top of notch loved it um i would say another one would be uh i was 13 i believe 13 or 14 
um, when the Power of the Force 2 line came out, where they finally started doing new Star Wars toys. Yeah. And I had gone to Memphis, Tennessee, for a doctor's appointment. And after a doctor's appointment, um, my, my parents and I would always go to the Mall of Memphis, which I think is closed now. Because um, it became the Mall of Murder. Yes, it was at, at a certain point, it became known as the Mall of Murder. Um, and they had a service merchandise. Do you remember that? It was kind of oh, yeah. like a, I don't know, like a Sears or a JCPenney almost. Oh, bruh, I'm, I'm old. I remember service merchandise. <laughs> so I had no idea these Power of the Force 2 figures were coming out. And I go to the toy section and I'm just looking. Who knows what I'm looking at? Just looking, right? And there on the fucking pegs are new Star Wars figures. And is this is this I the line where out. everybody was a little buffer than normal? Not just a little buffer, my friend. And I talked my parents into getting me a Luke Skywalker from Episode Four. And I remember that figure to this day. He was super buff. His fucking tunic was open, and his pecs were kicking. Yep, it was I, the, yep. It was the one that had the super long lightsaber. After a while, they shortened the long lightsabers to be a little more in scale. And he yep. had a grappling hook gun. That was his other accessory. And dude, I was so stoked. So stoked that there were finally new Star Wars toys. And that uh, really fucking... Like, I just remember the shock and awe of seeing that shit on the shelf and being super stoked. Getting the Millennium Falcon from that line was also I won't put it on my top five, but related to this one, it was also a big moment because as a kid going to comic book stores and stuff and buying the loose vintage figures, um the the thing I really wanted was a Falcon and I never saw one. I never saw one of the or you know original Kenner ones. So uh finally getting a Falcon that was pretty badass. A bit um, burned up in a house fire. Oh shit. The Falcon from this line, I'm just trying to, to place these time-wise for what I'm familiar with. I had those exact figures, the ones right. that were buff, the really long blue lightsaber, and I had the Han Solo, who was super buff, uh, the Darth Vader, the shiny C-3PO, and the R2-D2. Um, the Falcon. Now, did this Falcon have four buttons on it? Like yes. you put batteries in it, and the yes. four buttons made the it's, different sounds? It's the exact Falcon you had at your apartment here in Birmingham. That yeah, Falcon. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why that, when I was over at your apartment so and you were like, "Look at this," and I was like, "Oh, oh, oh God, that's the Falcon, that's the Falcon yeah. I wanted so bad." Yeah, man, that was a kicking Christmas. The Christmas I got that Falcon. <clears throat> um, and then um, I would say definitely uh, Phantom Menace opening day and Force Awakens opening day would be two more of mine. So that's four. Um, and I guess for my fifth one, um, once again, it's sort of one of those things where I was a kid, I was at the grocery store with my parents and for some reason we went through the book section and Timothy Zahn's heir to the empire was sitting out and I was like, what the fuck? A star Wars book, a star Wars book. And like, uh, I just remember being like other people are in the star Wars. Because friends of mine and, and school definitely got into Star Wars. Specifically, my buddy Steven and my buddy Mike. They got into Star Wars um, just not even too much longer after I found that book. But man, that was that was neat. Because A, it was something I always wanted to know about. 
what happened after Return of the Jedi, and it was new Star Wars. Even if it was a book and not a movie, I was fucking mm-hmm. stoked. Um, it doesn't really hold up as well, that book. I reread it not not too terribly long ago. <clears throat> Since the Disney announcement, I reread it. So, But, man, was it awesome at the time. And boy, did I have fun. And I used to no. call the local bookstore, because this is before the internet, I used to call the local bookstore probably on about a monthly basis and be like, uh, excuse me, do you have Dark, Dark For- Star Wars Dark Force Rising, the second book uh, from Timothy Zahn? And they'd be like, no, we don't have it. Because I didn't no, we know don't when, have the, it. when the fucking <laughs> child who calls us all the time about a fucking Star Wars book. <clears throat> you, honestly, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I guess I guess the reason I never got into the expanded universe was because of there was like a trilogy of books that I read that I guess were geared towards young adults. Uh, uh, they're terrible. Where, where, uh, the emperor had a son that was a triclops yep. and Darth Vader's right hand was indestructible. <clears throat> and so there was still the glove of Darth Vader. Yep. That's the first book in this. I have all of those books. It was more than a trilogy. I think it might've been like six books. And uh, I have all of those books somewhere in a box in this house. So I read those, and I was like, mm, these, and, and even as being, you know, a teenager, you know, 12, 13, 14, whatever, <laughs> I was, you know, these are not that good. Yeah, so, uni- universally uh, disliked those books. I was like, I guess Star Wars books just aren't that good, and I'll, I'll keep Star Wars good in my mind. Like, and I guess, you know, I should have read, obvi- everyone talks wonderful stuff about the Timothy Zahn stuff, so... Clearly, I should have yeah. read that. Yeah, I, I'm, I think I read Shadows of the Empire, and that was kick-ass. You know, right. Dash Rendar. Um, but you know, since this was an email with Richie from Boston, right? Mm-hmm. I I think about this joke every time we answer an email from Richie with Boston. So I'm just going to go ahead and do this in honor of him. Uh-huh. Um, you know the brown dress pants that you wear, like to church or whatever. No. No, yes you do. Have you They're ever like seen tan. have you ever seen me in fucking dress pants, Will? Okay. Well, what are they called? You, you know, brown tan dress pants. Slacks. No. Give me another shot. I don't know. What are they called? Suit pants. Khakis, right? Khak- oh, khakis. Okay. I know what khakis so, are. Say I lost my khakis. <clears throat> I lost my khakis. Right, and now you know how to say. Now you know what to say when you lose your car keys in Boston. I lost my khakis. <laughs> nice. He'll probably be pissed about that, but I think no. about it every time we answer a, an email from Richie from Boston. So uh, next up, we have our buddy Tomas, who now should have the info on getting his uh, Ahsoka to stand up, even if it's in a slightly creepy manner. You keep scratching your back with a back scratcher. You got some eczema going on there, buddy? You just got itchy back. No, I just got itchy back. I was um, on the ground doing some stuff under my car without a shirt, and I guess I just irritated the skin back there. That sucks. (laughs) Sounds hot, though. Here comes Tomas. Halls, I hope you're feeling better, buddy. Anyway, I am feeling a good bit better. Anyway, let's get right into the four questions I have. He has four, so we'll try to get these one by one. You ready? I was listening to a podcast on my commute into school the other day, and they mentioned the possibility of a Star Wars Marvel crossover movie. First, let me say that this isn't a Star Wars or Marvel podcast. 
but I was wondering what your thoughts of this possibly happening could be. It'll never happen. Yeah, I don't I don't think that'll ever happen. I think it's a bad idea. Now, if they were to do a what if storyline in the comics, you know what I'm saying that was like they were like, "Look, this is neither canon to Marvel or Star Wars." You know, just to have some fun with it, that could be fun, but we'd we'll never see that. You'd have to break the movie. ice with a different what if. <laughs> right. You'd have to break the ice with Marvel versus DC, you know, or Marvel zombies before you could do a what if Star Wars Marvel, I think. Yeah, I'm saying in the comics. I will never see it in a movie. Um, in the comics, I think it's something you could do just to have fun, but then you run the 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 uh, the risk of even if you say you're very clear in saying this is not canon, it will never be canon. There's still going to be those people that that are like, well, they said everything coming out now is canon, so Marvel and and Star Wars together, that's canon. Dude, I think your best shot at something like that is a Capcom fighting game, Star yeah. Wars versus Marvel. Yeah, right? I would play the fuck out of that! Dude, right? Who wouldn't? All right. I don't know if Hasbro already uses these, but I know many people's complaints about the Black Series is the look of the people's faces, and I thought it would be smart if they used something to the effect of a 3D printer. I don't know much about them, but it seems like they could possibly solve their terrible-looking head sculpts. Thoughts? Um, I don't know about if they actually 3D print the heads, but I know they do a process where they 3D scan the actors and their costumes for use in um, producing uh, these figures. So, you know what? I don't even think it's the sculpt so much. I'm firmly in the camp that it's the paint job on the faces that make them look that bad. I agree. I totally agree. And, you know... Just because I've seen what can be done with a really exquisite paint job, you know, I I bet if you tried to 3D print, you know, accurately 3D scanned faces, you'd pay another 50 bucks. But, uh, you know, that's just a guess. I have no idea. I mean, that's but, where, like, hot toys and stuff, that's where they come in, you know? Yeah, but, <clears throat> I, you know, I wonder how much more a better paint job would cost... You, you know, cost the 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 person who's going to buy it. You know, cost the purchaser. You know, honestly, I don't know. That's a good question. Like, would if they were to be like, look, we need better paint jobs on these faces, would that increase the cost of a black series? I guarantee it would. I mean, I, this I just, is the thing. I'm though. Thinking cost effectiveness. Just make more of those bitches, and they're gonna sell. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially if you do characters, people really want and 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 like and stuff like of course you can knock out the most badass looking constable zuvio but not nobody's gonna buy it but my dumb ass i got a fucking zuvio <laughs> fucking zuvio man um while listening to the latest installment of rogue one halls and johnny were talking about jj abrams and i thought what if jj had to go through the last 30 years and fill in all the gaps to make his story work do you think it's possible that he went that meticulously through the last 30 years of the Star Wars universe and filled in the gaps? No. I do not think J.J. did that. I think I J.J., m- with Lawrence Kasdan, wrote The Force Awakens, and maybe they worked backwards for their, from there for some key plot points. But we've already seen Ryan Johnson had... Um, you know, story input on that Bloodline book. 
So there's a, a you know a example of someone else adding something to that previous time period. I think you know there is some stuff that he said like this happened, this happened, but as far as really filling in that 30 year gap, I highly doubt it. I think that is what the story group is doing and has been doing um and is working towards, but you know, I don't this think JJ did it. This is what I think about JJ Abrams and Star Wars. <clears throat> I think JJ Abrams is so so relieved to have his finger out of that Star Wars pie and you not have been crucified and done a great job and right. been well received. He was like, you know, Woo! I, yeah, he's like, I got to hold that hot coal fire, you know, and start a forest fire with it and get to walk away, you know, and take a bow. Like, yeah, I, I think he views Star Wars with such a reverence and a fondness that he's just glad he got to make his mark, bring it back and bow out, you know, go out at the peak of your game, I guess, kind of right. glad he didn't have any negative, you know, press about it or lashback. Cause I think he took that responsibility incredibly seriously and, you know, to, to my great admiration, but I think he, uh, I think he's glad to be done with it just because it was so stressful and it is such a high no anxiety thing for him to do such a good job and do it such good justice that I, I think he's glad to be done with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Finally, if you had the chance to rewrite Jar Jar's performance in The Phantom Menace, what would you do? Keep in mind, Jar Jar would still have to be in the movie for the same exact amount of screen time. Um, I would say I would not rewrite Jar Jar so much as I would just take out some little things here and there. Uh, Jar Jar stepping in poop and getting his face farted on, I would take out. Um, and look, I am... I'm all for humor in Star Wars, but I don't know about fucking poop and fart jokes in Star Wars. Um, and other than that, like, I just let, you know, I would be, you know, we can focus on Jar Jar all we want, but why do that when we've got so much coming up? You know what I mean? Like, we've got new movies and books and comics and toys and video games and, like, Jar Jar happened. Just let it be. Like, let Jar Jar be Jar Jar. That's just this weird artifact of star wars lore now is that george lucas was like jar jar is what i am doing i am going full bore jar jar you know so um that's that's what i think about the jar jar thing what about you will would you rewrite jar jar yeah i know this may surprise you but i really wouldn't i wouldn't rewrite jar jar i respect george lucas's inclusion of him and what he did for children the fact that you know the one thing i would change like you said i'm not necessarily as upset about the poop and fart stuff but the way that jar jar speaks something in me finds that offensive um and i guess it's just on a subliminal subconscious level i would change jar jar bink's speech pattern because i think I think that is more of a majority of what has generated a lot of his hate than some of the slapstick comedy. Because, you know, I, I like you said, I understand comedy's place, and it may not necessarily be poop and fart jokes, but they made him, I don't know, they made him the village idiot. You know, like, Jar Jar Binks is hated by the Gungans until he becomes a general. 
and you know like what what reason do you have to show that you're a general you know you show false confidence and i don't know just the way all the gun gun all the gungan race speaks including jar jar i would change that and i guarantee you jar jar binks and the rest of gungan society would have a much better reception <clears throat> yeah yeah you're probably right uh next up we got our buddy king tam halls and will missed you guys last week but you have to take care of yourselves a few items first i think halls mentioned reading this on blue harvest but last weekend pablo hildago went on a twitter spree where he said one of the main points of the prequel trilogies was that the jedi fell because by the time of the clone wars they were more order than jedi more focused on dogma than individuals during one of these tweets, he specifically named Jocasta Nu and my old friend Kia D. Mundi as examples of Jedi who were following the wrong path. I just wanted to point that out in case any of my buddies out there are still on the dickhead bandwagon. <laughs> King Tom, like King Tom has like a radar for when Pablo brings up Kia D. Mundi and he's like, yes, got him. Uh, did, he, was it was it Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan that did the like? Like, let me hear what you're that that whole put that hand up oh, to his yeah. ear. I think that's Hulk. I think that's Hulk Hogan. Yeah, that's King I Tom. See, uh, I can see him doing that. Oh, what was that that you say? Oh, Kiadi uh, Mundi uh, was doing things wrong. A uh, what? <clears throat> so, King Tom has two questions. With all the focus lately about constructing the first Death Star and Rug One coming out soon, will we ever get the story <laughs> about the conception construction of the second Death Star? If the first Death Star took 20 years and numerous locations slash people, also shown in Tarkin, then they wouldn't be able to cobble together a Death Star 2 in just a few years, would they? <clears throat> I'm interested in this, especially because the Death Star is a main plot point of Jedi. But still, after Rogue One and all the other material, they may not. What do you think? Um, I think, I think they probably had the Death Star 2 in construction before the first one even blew up. Or it, once they finally figured out the whole Death Star thing, like finally got it working, that made them able to make them a lot easier. I don't know. It's a good question. It's, it's possible. I, I don't think so. You know, it's it's totally possible. Like that seems like something the Emperor would do if you have a network of these planet killing, you know, battle stations. Hell no, nobody's gonna fuck with you, or there will be no dissension in the ranks. Um, but. I don't find it unfeasible that they could construct a second one so quickly. First off, it, uh, I understand that it would take you 20 years to build the you know, administrative structure to get all of these materials in line to build the first one. Right. Now, now that you've built the first one, you have the entire production pipeline, pipeline established to build one. So it doesn't seem that far-fetched that they could create, you know, uh, you know, imagine how much production and industrial planning it took to produce the first one. You know, you probably have entire planets or systems devoted to the production of Death Star blank. You know, if, if you already have those dedicated, it's no, you know, it, 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 it doesn't make any, <coughs> in, any sense why you wouldn't be able to build a, a second one so quickly. Fair enough. Um, oh, shit. I lost King Tom's email with his second question. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase it. Sorry, King Tom. King Tom wants to know, uh, if you woke up tomorrow 
and there was like a tear in the space-time continuum or a fuck-up with the online service of, say, like Amazon Prime or Netflix, and Rogue One was on there for you to watch, would you watch it, and would you tell anybody you watched it? I'm telling you right now, I would watch it. If it was in its final finished state, I, I, would, that you would. I would get me a big old, I would be like, hold up, I gotta go to the store, I'm gonna buy the biggest box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch I could find, I would get like a big silver mixing bowl and I'd dump that whole <laughs> box of cereal in there. I've been on like a real strict diet, so I'm craving mm-hmm. Cinnamon Toast Crunch real bad. So I'd pour mm-hmm. that whole bitch in a big metal mixing bowl, pour the milk on there, and I would sit on the couch and eat that big bowl of cereal and just have a good old time. And then, yes, I would tell people I watched it. In fact, I'd I'd ring up Jason from Making Star Wars and be like, Motherfucker, I'm your spoiler source for Rogue One. What do you want to know? Fuck yeah. I'd but like, you wouldn't tell anyone but Jason and no. everybody else should be like, it's so good. No, I would tell anybody that wanted to know. Like, I'd be like, are you sure you want to know? Yeah. Darth Vader whips his dick out and takes a piss on Krennic's cape. It's fucked up. <laughs> um, it's mechanical, mechanical dick. Yeah, it pops out. It's got like a little hydraulics on the side. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I would watch it. I would tell people uh, and I would have just as good of a time seeing it in the theater. Um but that's just me. Like I'm impatient. And if they gave me, if something gave me the opportunity to see the completely, cause I don't want to see a work in progress with not done special effects. You know what I'm saying? I want to see, I learned my lesson with that. Uh, yeah. So did I, I want to see the final version. Um, what about you? Will, would you watch it? No, I you would not watch it. You no. would not watch it. Bullshit. I would not. You're bullshitting I, me right now. I'm your best I'm friend not. and you're bullshitting you know me. me right now. Dude, you know me. What you know me. What would I do? Like, I'm the guy that doesn't want to open one Christmas present early. I don't want to know what's in my Christmas presents. Like, there's something to me in the magic of things happening the way they're intended to. Like, I don't I never wanted to know what my Christmas presents were beforehand. I always wanted to be surprised and dazzled on Christmas Day. I didn't want to open them and have to be like, "Oh, that's great." You know, I had no idea. Thank you so much. <clears throat> All right. I I I would I'm a sucker for that moment. Like, you know, two of my greatest Star Wars moments are sitting in the theater watching that initial scroll. Like, I'm a sucker for those moments. Those are magical to me, and I would not I would not remove any ounce of the magic from that by seeing it early on a small screen like <laughs> Well, what telling me you telling me if it if it dropped on Amazon and I owned my own personal theater and could put that bitch in a theater with all my closest friends, fuck yeah, I'd, I'd okay. watch it early. But like, you telling know. me if I want to watch that shit on my home TV or computer, fuck no. I don't know. I got a pretty nice TV, little sound system set up, man. Sit on my couch, Walter on my lap, big old bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. Mm, sounds like a good ass time to me. I mean, it's tempting. It is. It is quite tempting. So uh, next up is our uh, our buddy Joe, and interesting enough, his email kind of plays into this last little discussion. Hello, Halls and Will. I have a friend that I see only a couple of times a year during college football season. I saw him Saturday, and he professed his love of your podcast, but said he's taking a pause for, from it for the next few months. Dude, thanks for spreading the word, Joe. Tell your friend to keep yeah, listening. Yeah, thanks. He, was, he wants to know as little as possible about Rogue One and is afraid even news items that aren't spoilers will give away too much of the story. I get that. 
In full disclosure, he acknowledges that he knows Leia eventually gets the Death Star plans leading up to A New Hope, but still wants to avoid all specifics of Rogue One. This got me thinking about Episode 3. I successfully avoided all spoilers and news about Revenge of the Sith starting pretty much as soon as Attack of the Clones was released. Looking back, I wish I would have spoiled myself with as much news as I could have as I did with Episodes 1 and 2. If nothing else, that would have I would have brought tissues to wipe away tears of unexpected and incomprehensible death of Kia D. Mundi. So what are your approaches to Rogue One going to be from here on out? And did you intentionally avoid spoilers for any of the prequels? Do you wish you would have done it differently like I wish I had? Thanks for being the best Star Wars podcast in the verse, Joe. Thanks, buddy. Um, Thanks, man. My personal Star Wars spoiler policy has been... With the new stuff, at least, I will read anything officially released by Lucasfilm. And then I sort of play it by ear with everything else. For some reason, I have not been as strict with myself uh, with Rogue One stuff as I was with The Force Awakens. Something I about... believe that's I believe that's because you're involved with Ro- you know Rogue One podcast, I think. Well, yeah, and I don't necessarily think it's that because... I told them, like, you know, I'm not into spoilers. If we do a spoiler section, I'd like it to be at the end, and I'll just dip out for that. Um, and which is the, uh, I believe, will be the strategy I take for episode eight. Um, there's something about Rogue One, like, I just kind of feel like, well, I know what happens. They get the plans, like, you know. Right. Um, I'm not Everybody... saying that if the the script came out online tomorrow, I don't think I'd read it. Um, I don't think I want to know that much, but thus far, anything I've read about Rogue One has not been like, oh, damn, I wish I hadn't read that. Um, as far as our, our podcast goes, uh, if at any point we get into spoiler, spoiler territory, uh, we'll put it at the end of the show, uh, just as a courtesy. Um, I think we've done that discussing books and stuff that, you know, not everybody's had a chance to read yet. Um, so I think that's just what we'll continue to do. Honestly, I don't really see us covering spoilers that much because I don't really get into them. Um, I was completely spoiled for the Phantom Menace going in. I knew every beat of what was going to happen. And I'll say this, it did not take away from my viewing of the movie. I didn't leave going, damn, I wish I hadn't spoiled it. But then as sort of a self-experiment, I didn't do spoilers for attack of the clones or revenge of the sith and i was like you know what i think i like that just a little better so that's just why it's been my personal spoiler policy uh since then uh what about you will i mean this is basically what i said a second ago you know i'm a sucker for that first time magic so i avoid all spoilers in general see like spoil you know any spoilers i get come from you you know and like you all you never i don't i always warn you you never spoil big shit, like right. And it's I was like, do you want to know if Vader's in Rogue One or not? Like, I think he probably will be, but go ahead and tell me, like, right, that kind know, of and stuff. That and well, and ago, I don't like, even get that specific. I'll I'll say something like, you know, there was some stuff about Episode Eight that came out shortly before you moved about a certain somebody fighting some some somebodies with a something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was like, hey, I read this thing because I, I will read spoilers and speculation up to a point. I did that with The Force Awakens. Once trailers started yeah. coming out with Force Awakens, it seemed like the spoilers were getting pretty on point. And I was like, eh, I should dip out, you know. Um, 
but uh, I was like, you know, I made sure to make sure you were cool with it before we we talked about it with each other. Right. Something we didn't even talk about on the podcast, because right, because we don't really you know, do the spoiler thing. And Joe, thank you for spreading the word, and um, thanks for telling your buddy. And uh, we really appreciate that he listens to our podcast. And I totally understand, you know, wanting to avoid Star <coughs> Wars media in order to avoid the spoiling. But um, honestly, we're—I I would say—we're fairly spoiler-free. Yeah. You know, you know, ninety-nine percent spoiler-free. And uh, but I totally understand. Just tell him to come see us again once Rogue One comes out because. We'll have lots we'll have to discuss. Stuff to talk about. I like that Joe and King Tom, I'm sure they didn't talk to each other and like coordinate those emails, but even though they're on opposite sides of the Kia D Mundi battle, like, look, they're still sort of thinking alike, right? I like that. Still got gonna, Kia D on the brain. I'm going to bring those dudes together somehow. Believe you me. Anyway. Dude, I- Bake them a Kia di Mundi shaped cake. And, uh, <laughs> we will eat Kia cake. So, one last email, and then we'll call it a night. And this is from our buddy Luke Willenhalls. I'm glad you guys are back this week, and hopefully, Halls is starting to feel better. It wasn't the same without the show last night, last week. That being said, I hope we can still be friends after this question. This uh-huh. question is about the spinoff movies, mainly the rumored Boba Fett movie. Halls, I know it's going to be hard to set aside your bias, but please try for a second. Do you really think Boba Fett should have his own movie? I know you'd love to see it. Well, because it's fucking Boba Fett. But I fear that a whole movie could potentially water down the character and make him lose some of his mystique. Now, I could easily see him as the main antagonist in a Han Solo movie, but I just don't feel like the character could carry an entire movie. Personally, I think we should get an Obi-Wan movie before a Boba Fett movie. Thoughts? Thanks, Luke. Will, do you want to cover this first? Sure. I'll take a crack at it. Um, I, you know, when we really think about it, all you have less than five minutes of footage. I mean, probably less than four minutes of footage of actual Boba Fett. I mean, you get uh, a you, peak. You get more you in um, uh, Attack of the Clones, but... As far as badass Boba Fett in the armor, I consider like let's. I'm leaving out the prequels because, like Boba Fett as a kid, I consider that a, a completely separate character. Like that's an undeveloped character. You see a crucial moment that you know defines his character, right? But you don't, you know. I mean, you see, you and and again in Clone Wars, you got a lot of young Boba Fett. Again, like I let's. I'm just not counting that. If we're talking about Boba Fett as a badass in Mandalorian armor, like you don't get a whole lot of that. You know, you get a snip in uh, a New Hope, you know, a little bit in um, Empire Strikes Back. You know, like basically the time on Cloud City and hunting down Han Solo, and a brief second on um, the Executor, uh, and then like a face off in Return of the Jedi. You know, a couple. Right. You know. Real, real, real short. So, saying that a lot of Boba Fett's mystique is what is unknown about him, you know, and and a, a one a whole movie could carry Boba Fett. Like, if you do the first Boba Fett movie, Boba Fett could have fucking four or five movies. Like, if it is done right, done well, and builds on a character, you know, it, it's I, the whole Boba Fett movie is going to have to be 
either character development or watching him kick ass plus character development. Right. Like, you know, and I, that's what I would love to see. I'd love to see character development swung really hard in the kick and ass department. You know, I don't need a whole lot of backstory, but you know, a, a little bit here and there would be cool. But like, I, I really just want to see Boba Fett kick ass, like, and having him as the villain in the Han Solo movie would be cool as shit. But right in the end of the day, yes, I believe Boba Fett is a strong enough character to warrant his own movie. I even believe that Boba Fett's a strong enough character to warrant his own trilogy. It's all about telling the story of the character in in the best way possible. You know, like have, being smart about what you do with that character and how you tell that story. I agree. Um, I'll say this. To me, the prospect of coming up with a Boba Fett movie is fucking daunting. Like, it almost seems even harder than than getting the new trilogy off the ground. Um, and that's a lot of my personal bias because I want them... I think, you know what, I think they're having trouble getting it off the ground uh, because we haven't really heard anything about a Boba Fett spinoff when... You know, they first took over. There was a lot of rumors and news about a Boba Fett spinoff. So I think, you know, if they... I don't want them to rush into it. I want to make sure they've got a good movie. I want to make sure they've got a good story. Um, And if that all comes together, then fuck yeah, I want a Boba Fett movie. And I think you can make an amazing movie. But it does make me hesitant. Not so much for ruining the mystique, because I think there's a way to do a Boba Fett movie where you don't ruin the mystique. And when I say a Boba Fett movie, uh, I I really mean a movie with Boba Fett in it. Like uh, him being the main antagonist in the Han Solo movie would almost count for me. Would almost count as a Boba Fett movie. But in reality, what I want is post-Return of the Jedi Boba Fett in movie form. I don't know that we'll get that, but that's, I mean, just personally what I want. Um, uh, I want to see... Boba Fett snapping necks and cashing checks. Like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I and look, I want this Obi Wan movie too, man. Like I would be fucking stoked about that part. with that an would... Obi Wan Ewan McGregor reprisal. But that's once again something they gotta do just right. Like if you're gonna take Obi Wan off of Tatooine, it's gotta be for something badass because there's something to be said about just Obi Wan being forced to live the boring life on Tatooine. You know what I'm saying? After the failure of the Jedi, you know, it's a tragic and heroic sadness. You know, it feels like a sacrifice, you know, like having Obi-Wan been there alone on Tatooine, you know, really makes you feel like, wow, he, he really gave up a life. He gave, you know, his life to, to watch over Anakin's child. Like he was basically a godfather. Right afar and that you know if you mess with that if he's off having adventures <coughs> that makes that sacrifice seem a little less right exactly um and and that's not to say that it would be weird to have a obi-wan movie all set on one planet but if they could find a way to do it all on tatooine i think it could be cool the thing I, is if the adventure is badass enough people will people will will, will buy that like yeah all right, if yeah. the adventure is cool enough, it's he can leave Tatooine, that's fine. Or if the adventure is even all on Tatooine, yeah. like, that's fine. Um, but that's pretty much my feelings. I just want a Boba Fett movie, man. He's my favorite. Lightning has just struck my brain. Um, <laughs> what You know it, you know what would be kind of neat, or just the thought just hit me, though, is like, what if you have a Boba Fett movie, but it's kind of like a horror movie? Like, the whole movie 
is told from the perspective of Boba Fett's prey. And like, you know, you see his prey or what he did to get a bounty on him. And the whole movie kind of focuses on the guy that's got the bounty and the run from Boba Fett. Oh, I see and, what you mean. It's saying, and, so we're like, you know, Friday the 13th, Jason, is, he's basically Jason in a Friday the 13th movie. Exactly. Or Michael Myers. Like, yeah, yeah. Boba Fett is just steadily walking, you know, towards his prey, like, like knocking things out of the way, like they're nothing to get to, you know, not going to stop at anything to get to his quarry. Yeah, yeah, I can dig that. I can dig that for sure. Well, I think that's going to about do it for us this week. Uh, we got through all our emails, so that's good. Um, uh, once again, guys, sorry about last week, but, you know, shit happens. Hopefully it won't happen uh, too often, but I appreciate all the uh, well wishes and everybody being super understanding about us having to miss a week. Um, you guys should go pick up Stone Cobra's album, High and Mighty, or Armed and Hammered at stonedcobra.bandcap.com. They're also on iTunes and Spotify, so check them out. Fucking check them out. All these tweets I get on Twitter about, all oh, that that Blue Harvest theme song, so badass, I love it. I listen to the whole end of the podcast just so I can hear it. Well, you can own it for yourself for a mere five shekels. So, But also, when you buy the Stone Cobra album, make sure to still listen to us. Uh, Tell them Blue Harvest sent you. Yes, tell them Blue Harvest sent you. Uh, Buy our shirts and shit. Uh, Tpublic.com slash Blue Harvest Podcast. Follow Will on Twitter at WillWitten3. I think that's about it, buddy. Oh, by the way, I did some research. Uh, you know, last episode we talked about Blue Harvest condoms. Yes. Uh, it is a possibility. And oh, that's so awesome. If the stars align, I might be handing out Blue Harvest con- condoms at Celebration next year. I know you're excited. I know I am. That might get us some heat. This Star Wars podcast is handing out com- condoms. Because, you know, fucking... Well, we wouldn't hand them out to kids. Of you know, course hand not. Them out to of anyone that was the age of sexual promiscuity. But hell, man, we might could get some of those con dudes laid. Not that they can't get themselves laid, but but we can make sure they're sell they're they're safe when they do get laid. We can laid. make sure that you're safe when you do. And you know what? There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with with uh, making sure that the sexually promiscuous within our fandom are doing so safely. I believe that's what Jedi would do. You're not gonna get no Zika. From some random Star Wars fan at Celebration with your Blue Harvest condom. But anyway, for Blue Harvest, a Star Wars podcast, I'm your host, Halls Burkhart. And I'm your host, Will Witten. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with all of you. May the Force be with us.